0: Our scripture reading comes from uh, Luke chapter 2, and so if you'll make your way there, if you're not there already, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 39 through 51. So starting in verse 39, it says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God as we come to your word as we opened up uh the scriptures um we ask that um God you would um through the power of the holy spirit that you would illuminate the text that we are uh, are, are looking into today God that you would shine um the light of the spirit um on this text into our hearts um God that we would that we would uh, learn and glean from it what you would have us to learn um that we would understand it uh, uh rightly that we would apply it to our lives in in an appropriate way Uh, God, and that all things that we would be drawn closer to your son, Jesus Christ, and be formed in his image. Um, Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity to come to your word, God. We thank you that um, you have revealed yourself to us through your word. Um, God, that we have seen your glory displayed in it, and God, we ask to see that glory again in this time. Uh, We love you, and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So... uh, you ever heard of flashbulb memories, right? So, flashbulb memories are these things when an event happens and the event is so dramatic or traumatic that it, it sort of does something to our brains to where it locks the memory in there. So, some people have pointed towards things like uh, like the Challenger explosion or 9/11 or things like that. That all of a sudden, you know, many times we can remember those days almost perfectly. Um, well, that doesn't just happen with big events. Sometimes it happens with traumatic experiences too, and one one of the earliest childhood memories that I have, um, I was, I was at least kindergarten age, but maybe before kindergarten age. My family and I lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and my dad had taken me to the mall. And we had just gone to the mall and we were at the mall and there was this weird little exhibit at like one of the interchanges in the mall, like this kiosk thing. And it was a talk to an astronaut exhibit. Okay. And it had a bunch of stuff about the space program and, and, but, and you could walk up and talk to an astronaut, except really what you did is you picked up a phone that had a pre-recorded message from the astronauts on it. And they told you a little bit about the astronaut program or whatever. And so what happened is we walked up and my dad said, Hey, do you want to, do you want to do this thing? And I said, sure. So I went up and, and stood at the little booth and, and picked up the phone and listened to to the uh, to the astronaut talk. Unbeknownst to me, my dad took a dozen steps back and sat down on a little uh, concrete embankment thing there in the in this in this intersection in the mall and was sitting there. But I thought he was right behind me, and so I listened to this guy on the phone for a second, and then I'm like, well, cool, that was fun. And when I turn around, my dad is gone. And so I'm four years old, you know, five years old or something like that. And immediately I freak out, and I'm like, my dad's left me, or he's disappeared, or he's gotten lost, or we've gotten separated. And I took off running at a full sprint, screaming, Dad, you know, Dad, or whatever. The thing is, I ran off the opposite way that he was. And so I am, like, tearing down this, you know, it's a mall, right, like this straightaway down the mall. And my dad sees me, and he starts chasing me, but he's way behind me, and he's screaming, stop, stop. And I'm listening this way and just running terrified that I've lost my dad right and he's gone and I can't find him or whatever finally my dad catches up with me and grabs me by the shoulders and he's like hey hey what are you doing I'm back here I was just sitting back there and I was all like Ooh, I thought you were gone I thought you left me or whatever right and but it was I mean you know for a little kid man it was so traumatic like I remember it like I remember it happening it's one of the earliest things that I can remember an event in my life or whatever um It's, it's almost taken on, and and honestly, I have done this with it. It's taken on sort of a spiritual parable nature in my own life. Um, I think about that event, and it, and had sort of, I, I, I add some spiritual interpretation to it, okay? I'm not saying that God was doing something unique, but it's become a parable for me in my life. Um, what's interesting is this, is when I took off running, I thought my dad was lost. Right. I thought he was the one who had somehow disappeared. Right. But but that wasn't actually the reality. My dad was the one who was in complete control. Um, He knew exactly where he was and where I was and where we were in relationship to each other. It was me that ran off and got lost. Right. Um, That story kind of has some some um, connection to the passage that we come across um, in, in Luke today. Um, it has some thematic connections, I guess you could say, because in this story, uh, Jesus gets lost, right? Jesus gets lost, or at least from a certain perspective, Jesus gets lost. Um, but what I want to suggest to you is maybe that perspective is the problem. Uh, maybe that's why we think that he's lost, okay? Um, and so let's kind of look at the passage and dig in. If you'll notice something, between verses 40 and 41, we make an 11-year jump, right? Um, the last time we see, in, in verse 40, we see Jesus and he is a, a, a toddler, somewhere around that age probably, right? He's a, he's a one-year-old, he's a two-year-old, something in that range. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's a, he's a, a preteen, right? Um, between verse 40 and 41. Um, And what we see in the context of this passage is what is going on is there are the family is making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem from Nazareth. There were three Jewish pilgrimage festivals. We've talked about them multiple times before. There's there's the festival of Passover. There's the festival of weeks or what we call Pentecost. And then there's the festival of booths. That we've talked about, that happens in like September, that is in conjunction with the, the Jewish New Year. Okay, and so those those were three times of the year where every male Jewish man was um, expected to leave his home, make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and be there for the festivities during that time. Women did not actually have to go. Um, women um, were not required to go, but it, but it's a it's a it's an indication of of Mary's piety uh, and her and her devotion to God that she is, she is going in the, in the group, right? She is going to, um, uh, to Jerusalem along with um, the party, okay? And so, like we've said before, from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it's about a three-day journey to get down there. And so, obviously, there's this crowd of friends, right? Um, relatives and other people from their town and maybe surrounding towns, and they have all gone down together in mass um, for protection, probably, and, and ease of travel and stuff. They've all gone down to Jerusalem, okay, to the festival of Passover. And So in verse 41, it says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. And his parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And by then, they began to search for him again among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Okay, so how does this happen right that 's the first question. How does this kind of thing happen well there 's two things about Jewish um, or, or Near Eastern traveling practices that probably explain the scenario and this is stuff that you may already be aware of from if you 've if studied this passage before. Um, the first thing is is that the traveling party itself, this group of people going down to Jerusalem, would have probably broken up into two fairly distinct uh, chunks of people. There would have been a group of women and children who led the way, who were out in front, and then there would have been a group of men who would have uh, brought up the rear. Okay, and and there's 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 logic in that. Um, uh, the women and children are probably going to be the slower of of the groups, right? And so it's it's good that they go out front and set the pace because if the men go out front, they will end up walking off and leaving um, the women and children behind. Also, if something were to happen and somebody were to ambush them, rob or something, they would probably come from behind, right, and sneak up on you. And so then it's the men who are in the back of the pack who are there ready to defend um, the women and children. And so there was a reason for that. But there would have been these two different groups um, uh, uh, walking along the road, right? Then the second piece that kind of explains this whole thing is Jesus' age. And we are specifically told that Jesus is 12 years old. Well, if you know anything about Jewish culture, again, the, the, the age of being 12 to 13 is the point at which... Which you shift over from childhood into manhood, or or childhood into adult womanhood. Okay, and so what probably was the case was this: if Jesus was a child, he would be hanging out with the women, and if Jesus had already sort of become um, a man in the culture, then he would probably be hanging out with men. But the deal is, is he's right on that verge, right? He's right on the the edge of that thing. And so probably what happens is the women look around and go, "Well, Jesus isn't with us. He's probably back there with the men because he's almost 13. And then the men probably look around and go, well, Jesus isn't with us. Well, he's, he's not quite there yet. He's probably still hanging out with the women and children. And so they leave Jerusalem and and, and go a day's journey before they even realize this. It's kind of like Home Alone, right? Um, it's kind of like the, the plot for Home Alone. Um, like when you watch it, the first time you watch it, you go, how can this, this is a little bit far-fetched, right? Like how do you leave one of your kids behind? At least that's what I always thought, at least until I had kids. Um and then I realized, man, it gets like crazy and you just forget stuff. Like I have left kids in cars before. I've left them at the church. Like I've done all kinds of things before where I just kinda of went, Oh yeah, I forgot my kids. Like Christie's going, oh, I didn't know about that and he didn't tell me. I don't tell people when I do it. Um, um I just sort of go, Oh, I forgot something. Let me go back and grab that real quick. Get out. You know. Um You realize that when you get when you, when you have kids, right, man, there are all kinds of scenarios where like they're just out there doing stuff. Like all the time, this phrase comes out of my mouth. Like I go, "We'll be in a gr- big group of people, just like they were, and there's lots of people doing lots of things." And all of a sudden, I go, "Has anybody seen my kids?" Right? Say that all the time, and then somebody's like, "I I, I think they're probably over there with the other kids," and you're like. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they're probably there, and then you just ignore it. They could be, like, in another country, and I wouldn't know, okay? Um, it, that happens all the time, right? Almost daily, um, that kind of stuff happens. And so I get it. I get that you could totally just sort of go, oh, I, I wasn't exactly, I thought I knew where my kid was, and then we walked for a day, and then I lost him, okay? Um, but here's a principle. Christy's going, that would never happen to me. I'm paying attention. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Moms are probably like much more zoned. I mean, like tuned in. They're like, I'm always thinking about where my kids are, and I'm like, I'm never thinking about where my kids are. Um, there's a principle there, though. Um, it is easy to get distracted with the hustle and bustle of life and lose our kids. But more to the point, it is easy to get distracted with the hustle and bustle of life and to lose Jesus in that process, right? To all of a sudden look up and go, I'm not exactly sure where Jesus went, I think one of the things, and since this is uh, for many of you in here—not everybody, but many of us—there's there's there's many people who are in that transition between um, what you might call young adulthood into mid adulthood. Okay, Um, there's a lot of folks in that in that uh, sort of range here, Um, and I think that's a hard transition for a lot of people spiritually, and and one of the reasons why. Is because as you transition from that early adulthood, so let's say early twenties, college age stuff, into late twenties and and that kind of range, or maybe a little bit older than that, or whatever, um, our lives get more complicated, right? Um, Oftentimes, I think, and we see this all the time in the culture, there's a like time in there where we lose Jesus people people look up and they just sort of go man i got busy with life i got busy with family and career and marriage and and children and i got busy with all these things and i sort of I sort of lost Jesus in in the process. Um, you know, when you're when you're a college age person, when you're when you're sort of younger and you don't have as many responsibilities. There's there's a couple things that are going on. I feel like oftentimes in the heart of a faithful follower of Jesus, right. So when you're younger, number one, everything's fresher, right. You're like learning new truths and you're reading the Bible and people are teaching you and everything is new and fresh and in your face, right. And so it's almost like going to an art museum that you've never been to for the first time. Like you walk in and you are Whoa, there's all these things that are there. And so you can walk through it very quickly and just be uplifted by all the cool stuff that you see because you don't have to stop because everything's new to you. Right. But then um, and, and then not only that, I mean, you have all this free time as a younger person, a lot of times for service. Um, you can live more simply for one, right? You got less bills. You got maybe not a full-time job, no career, no spouse, no kids. Um, life hasn't had time to drop kick you in the face quite as many times yet, right? Um, and in that process, you have more time for the things that oftentimes. Uh, 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 facilitate us growing close to God. So you have more times to meet and fellowship with people and to study, to serve, right? Even sometimes in intense levels of service. And so there's a number of us in here that I know um, there are people who, you know, in their college age, spent time on the mission field, right? Or went and served all summer at kind of different kinds of mission opportunities. Like we were doing things that were like diving us into the work of God in our midst. And then something happens, right? We get to that mid-range of, of adult adulthood and we just sort of get busy. And then all of a sudden um, we look up and we say, man, I've lost Jesus along the way. Not completely. Like I'm not saying I'm an apostate. I haven't walked away from Jesus, but he's missing. Um, He's not as present um, as as I feel like he used to be. Uh, He's distant in my life somehow. Right. I think that happens all the time. Moreover, um, man, it used to feel like it was easier to find him. Right when I was younger, it was easier. And again, maybe as a function of all those things, it was easier to find Jesus when I wanted to. Uh, Man, a little Bible study, a little worship, a a little service, and boom, and I felt connected and close to Him. And oftentimes, I feel like it doesn't work the same way. Like we are, we are. uh, It's it's harder to find Jesus and get connected to Him again. Um, And we have an expectation that it should be easy. Okay, Um, and when it isn't easy, we're sort of annoyed at that, right? We're annoyed at Jesus for being hard to find. And you kind of see that in this passage again, right? So what happens? Three uh, Three days after they'd been looking for him, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And they all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Okay? Man, I can only imagine what Christy would say if she our kids went missing for three days, right? Um and it was because they were just like playing in a treehouse somewhere or something like that, right? Um it, it, it we would you would be upset, right? You would be annoyed. You would be perturbed at this whole situation. Mary and Joseph are put out. Okay? Um, and they kind of level this accusation at Jesus, right? Um, so first off, they kind of say, you have acted in a way that caused this. Jesus you are the one who has done something that has caused this this distinction this break here okay and so we say man you know it's not like um i was doing something intentionally to lose jesus um i'm just living my life man and jesus keeps on wandering off okay like i'm just trying to be a, a normal person doing my life and i keep on looking up and i feel like jesus has wandered off somewhere um, that i'm not as connected to him as i used to be um it's a little bit accusatory, right? It's not so much that we lost him. It's almost that he lost us somehow. By his actions, he has given us the slip, or at least that's what Mary and Joseph seem to be sort of accusing him of. Um, and we say the same kind of things, right? Why are you doing this, God, right? Like, I'm, I'm trying to reconnect to you, and I'm finding that difficult. Why is this not easier? Why are you making this so hard? And then at the same time, there's another kind of accusation there um, and it's to say, but, and what you're doing, Jesus, is causing me heartache. It's causing me distress, right? I'm going through difficulty because you are not showing up somehow. You are not being easy to be found in this situation. You know, one of the frustrating things about um, losing Jesus in our lives um, is that sometimes we feel like it's God's fault. Right? We feel like it's Jesus' fault in some way. Um, because we sit there and say, uh, I'm distant right now, but I'm searching. I'm looking for you, God, and I don't feel like you are showing up. Right? Like you could just appear and, and meet me wherever I'm at at any time, and yet you're not. This should be easier to find you, Jesus. Why have you treated me this way? Right? Why are you not more sensitive to my situation and my plans? I think that's part of the frustration of fumbling through faith, right? In young adulthood, young adult with children, or really at any time in our life, man, we go through those phases all throughout our Christian lives. Um, We become spiritually stagnant at certain times, right? Uh, And we just feel a disconnect. But here's the thing. Um, I think at least in part, we have misunderstood the process of what's going on. We have misunderstood what is actually taking place. Um, And I think Mary and Joseph kind of misunderstand it. And Luke draws our attention to that fact in this passage. So verse 49, what we start noticing is this. Jesus is saying uh, there's a new center to this story. Okay, Um, you're, You're upset with me? Um, You're upset that um, I have done something to mess up your plans. Um, But I'm here to tell you that something new is happening. And there's a new center to this whole story. Let me show you what I mean. So verse 49, what does Jesus say? He says to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand that saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Okay, right. So, So Jesus answers them, okay? That's something um, um, important for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's interesting because we notice something actually changes. And again, you might not have noticed this. Um, and, and you might even notice it less if you didn't see it in the Greek. And honestly, I don't know Greek well enough to notice it from the Greek, but I, I've read the commentaries that point out the fact, right? And it's that it, this happens. The syntax in that sentence, all of a sudden the verbs don't modify Mary and Joseph anymore. Starting in verse... Uh, um, 50, the verbs start modifying Jesus. Okay, so what I mean by that is this. At the beginning of the passage, the focus is on Mary and Joseph, and Jesus is accompanying them. Okay? Now, all of a sudden, the passage begins to focus on Jesus, and the language even changes, right? They went up to Jerusalem with him now. He's the one that's going to Jerusalem, or he's the one going to Nazareth, and his parents are coming with him. Whereas at the beginning of the passage, it's Joseph and Mary are going down to Jerusalem, and Jesus is coming with them, okay? The, the center changes Mary and Joseph aren't the prime actors in the story anymore. Jesus is the prime actor in the story, okay? Those things are pointing us towards something. For one, another thing that we notice is this is the first time Jesus ever speaks, Right? Did you think about that? This is the first time Jesus ever says anything to us. We haven't heard Jesus talk until this point in Luke. And Jesus, um, we've had all these different testimonies about who Jesus is, right? Everybody has told us who Jesus is. Mary's told us about Jesus. Joseph's told us about Jesus. Zechariah and Elizabeth and Simeon and Anna and angels. There have been all these people telling us about who Jesus is. But now Jesus tells us something about who Jesus is, all right? And he makes this explicit Reference to his connection to the father So in 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 certain Uh, it, it's certain from the things that we've already seen that jesus is going to be the messiah, right? But we don't know exactly the full picture of what that messiah is going to look like we uh But what that entails Jesus kind of adds something to that, right? God the god of heaven is jesus father We've we've had hints of that, but Jesus now says it explicitly. the The God of this temple, the God of the temple in Jerusalem, is my Father. Okay, that is, the, I am His Son; He is my Father. Even the Jews would have had a hesitation talking about God as their Father, as the as the United People of Israel. Right? There are some references in the Old Testament where they talk about God as Father to Israel as a nation, but The idea that God would be specifically father to an individual person was an idea that was not okay, right? That was almost blasphemous, okay, to say something like that. And yet Jesus is making this straight, explicit claim, words from his own mouth. This is my father's house. The temple is my father's house. You may have noticed in your text, I don't know what, what yours said when, it, when I read it, but some of the passages say, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? Some of you have versions that say, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? Um, there's actually some translations that even, that even say, um, did you not know uh, that I must be among my father's people? Um, I think is the way it says it. What's interesting is this, is there's actually no, we are adding to the scriptures, honestly, right there. When you look at it in the Greek, the phrase basically reads something like this. It must be about my father. Okay? It doesn't say his father's business. It doesn't say his father's house specifically. The word for house or father is not there. We are, we are assuming that he is talking about that by the context and some other things like that, right? But it's sort of like he's, if we think about it, he's sort of saying, did you not know that I must be about my father? Okay? About my father's what? I must be about my father. Right, uh, that that's what my focus is. That's what um, this thing is all about. Okay, and also Luke does another little thing that again maybe is there if you've got a study Bible, it may be in your study notes, but it's probably something that you wouldn't notice outside of that, is he uses this phrase, it is necessary, or it must. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Luke uses that in a unique way all throughout Luke and Acts, okay, over and over again. And whenever he says that, it is necessary that, it must be that, when he uses that phrase, he is talking about something that is connected to salvation history, Okay, it is something that he's basically saying it is destined that I would be a part of this. It is destined. It is necessary ontologically, like salvifically, like in the history of God's working in the universe, it is necessary that I should be about this thing. And it's the first use of it in the Luke Acts cycle. All right. And so what is he saying? He's saying, did you not know that it was necessary destiny divinely ordained that I must be about my father? That is what my life is focused on. That's what it's about. Jesus' destiny is connected to his alignment to the Father. And here's the deal. That destiny is what is central starting in this passage. Okay, There's something new that is now the focus of the story, and it is Jesus' connection with the Father and what the plan of the Father is for his life. There is a new gravity to everything that we're going to read, okay? And I mean gravity is in in, kind of the way that we think of it in terms of astronomy and stuff like that, right? The way gravity works is you've got a body somewhere like a planet that is big enough and dense enough and heavy enough that if something gets close enough to it, Everything gets pulled into it, right? And then, and then the way orbiting works, right, is as that body gets pulled into it, if it catches it in the right way, it goes into orbit around it, right? And you find this new orbit because something has been big enough and heavy enough and dense enough to suck you into it. And now you are in, in orbit around that thing. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying something has happened, is happening now, that is changing the orbit of everything. Mary, You're not the center of this story anymore. Joseph, you are not the center of this story anymore. I know I have interrupted your plans. I know I have caused you some worry. But the thing is, this isn't about you anymore. You are not the main characters of this. Jesus is reorienting everything around himself at this point. Jesus is about his father's business, and he must be. It is necessary. It is the story. It is the plot. It is what everything is pointing towards. And so Jesus is the center now. Mary is not. Here's the thing, though. Personally, right, for us, we get annoyed sometimes. Jesus gets lost. And because our story, we want it to run a lot smoother and we want everything to be fine. Man, if if he would just follow us... Right? If Jesus would just keep up, I got a busy life, Jesus. Right? If you would just stay with me, right? Stay here close with me. Follow me as I make plans, as I go about my life. But we have to ask ourselves the same question that Mary is being taught right here and that everybody is being taught. We have to ask ourselves the question who is the main character of your life? Who is the main character in your life? Most people would say, well, certainly I am the main character of my life. And the answer is, no, you are not. You are not the main character of your life. Jesus is the main character in your story. He's the main character in the story. He is the main character in everybody's story. All right, and I'll close. We're we're, we're done. I, I, we're sort of short. I, I know we're we're I'm, I'm letting you out a good bit early um, tonight, um, but I want to close with just kind of this last little illustration. It's a movie illustration, like is often the case. Okay, um, anybody ever seen the movie Ben Hur? Right, Ben Hur. Not talking about the new nonsense. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the one from the fifties. Okay, there's actually an older one than that. There's like a black and white one, but I'm talking about the one from the fifties. Charlton Heston, epic, awesome movie. Right? Okay, easily one of my top, probably top five. If you eliminate the the holy trilogies of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, it would easily fall into my top five. Okay, uh, Ben Hur. Maybe would make it even without that. Okay, um, Ben Hur is a huge movie, right? One of one of the great classics of all of, of cinema. Um, it is still to this day tied for the most number of Oscars ever. There are three movies that have won eleven Oscars: uh, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King, Titanic, and Ben Hur. Okay, and so it's the, they're, they're all three tied for the most Oscars ever. But here's something you may not have known: Ben Hur is based on a book. Okay, Ben-Hur is based on a book written by a Civil War general and statesman named Lou Wallace. And Lou Wallace wrote the book Ben-Hur in 1880, and many people consider it the most influential Christian book of the 1800s. Okay? So it was a huge book. Now obviously it's a fiction book, and so some people might argue, yeah, I'm sure there are theological books that were different, right? And so that fine, whatever. But in terms of like a fiction kind of story, um many people consider it one of the most influential books of uh, the eighteen hundreds. Um it was the number one best selling book in American history through the eighteen nineties, nineteen hundreds, tens. 20s, all the way till 1936, when it was finally beaten by Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the Wind. But for basically half a century, it was the number one best-selling book in the United States. Okay, Um, Hugely influential, right? And so if you have watched the movie, the movie and the book kind of are are very similar, obviously. Um, The story... Is about a guy named Judah Ben Hur, okay? And he is a Jewish sort of aristocrat, nobleman, or whatever. And what you basically do is you follow him through his life story, um, and, and he he runs afoul of the Roman authorities in Judah, and he's put on a on a slave ship where he's having to row, and then he escapes, and he becomes a, a chariot racer, and he ends up fighting his old nemesis in the in the in the arena, and and it's big and epic and amazing, and you should see it. Um, but there's something interesting, and you lose this if you don't know, I don't think the movie is titled this, um, but the book is, is there's actually a subtitle to the book. And the book is called Ben-Hur, A Tale of the Christ. Now, when you read the book, again, what you notice is, is, is in the story, Jesus shows up in the story a couple times, right? Jesus is, is intersects. Their lives are sort of running parallel, you could say, okay? Um, and, and Jesus enters into the story, but only in small ways every once in a while, maybe two or three, three or four times during the whole course of the book, okay? Anybody reading the book would say, this is obviously a book about Ben-Hur, Judah Ben-Hur. He's the main character in this story. But what's really cool is that Lou Wallace recognized that that wasn't really the case. That even though 95% of this book was about Judah Ben-Hur, it's not a tale about Ben-Hur. It's a tale about the Christ. It's a tale about how Jesus works in the life of Judah Ben-Hur. Okay, That's an illustration for our lives. Right there, um, we could we could do that with any one of us, right? We could say Tim Richardson, A Tale of the Christ, right? We could say Joseph Morgan, A Tale of the Christ. It's not a tale of your story, right? It's a tale of Jesus' story working in your life and doing these things. Why? Because Jesus is the new center. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then everything else is now revolved around him, that your life has come into orbit around Jesus Christ. And there's no more of this place for us to sit there and kind of look and be like, man, Jesus, I don't know why you keep on getting lost. It's kind of annoying because I'm trying to do my thing and you keep on wandering off. Jesus says, guys, I'm sorry. This isn't your story, right? It's about me now. Not in a goofy, selfish, you know, hateful way, right? We're not talking about Jesus just being up there in heaven somewhere going, I don't care about any of these people. That, that, that's not what we're talking about, right? But is the reality that Jesus' story is so much bigger and that your story is now part of his story, not the other way around? It's not his story that is joined with your story. Your story is joined with him. So he, he is the center, and if we have lost Jesus in that process, then maybe it's because we are not looking in the right places. Maybe it's because we are not living in a way um, where it is easier to meet and find Jesus. Jesus is ordained in the normal order of his creation all kinds of ways in which we are to um, find him and meet with him. We meet with him in his word. We meet with him in prayer. We meet with him in fellowship of the believers. We meet with him when we evangelize. We meet with him when we serve other people, right? We, 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 when we take the gospel, to places. um, When we speak for um, truth and 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 teach the word of God, these are all places that God has said, I will meet you in these places. When we come to the Lord's supper table, we are meeting with Jesus. And so then what we find is that if we have gotten to a point in our life where we go, man, I don't think I, I can't find Jesus. He's lost. Then maybe the answer is, is that we have walked away from the places that we can find him, that we are the ones who have left him behind in Jerusalem and gone on about our way and then been annoyed that he didn't follow on behind us. And so, what I want to do right now is let 's just go to the Lord in prayer um, and and take some time and because and, um, I know we all do this right we all feel those times where you just go you just look up and you go man i 'm not connected i don 't know what happened and i don 't know how I got to this place but jesus i don 't feel close to him like I have, um, and yet we know that He is always welcoming us back. He is always calling us to follow him in the things that he has commanded us to follow him in. And so let's just take some time and go before the Lord in prayer. Maybe you know the place. Maybe you're like, man, I know what it is that I have been unfaithful in. I know the places that I am ignoring or walking away from Jesus and not allowing um, those natural places of fellowship to happen with my life with Christ. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you're sort of saying, man, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and I just am still not connected. I don't know what the missing piece is. Talk to the Lord about that. Um, ask him to, to meet you um, where you're at. Ask him to show you where you need to return to to find him. So let's, let's do that now. Jesus, we are prone to leave you. Um, that is the reality. We are like sheep that get lost. Um, God, it's easy for us to sometimes think that we are the shepherd and you are the one who is wandering off, God, but it is not the case. Um, you are the great shepherd. Um, your son is is the center. He is the thing that, the person that we are in orbit around now. He is the, the new middle of this story. He is the main character. He is the plot. Um, God, if, if, if we are lost, um, we have gotten lost. We have wandered off. Father, we don't even mean to do that. Um, certainly sometimes in our lives, God, we are rebellious and, and, and we, we seek to be, um, away from you, to hide from you so that we can live our lives as we see fit. But God, many times, um, we're not doing it on purpose. We are just, um, living our lives and yet we look up and we find ourselves lost. God, we ask that you would draw us back to Jesus just as these, as these verses that we've read tonight, these Psalms, um, God, your sheep know your voice. And when they hear it, um, they recognize it. They return to it. Um, God, we ask that you would call to us, um, that you would make your presence known and that not that, um, God, we would continue to wander, um, but that we'd hear your voice and we would return to where you are, um, that we would Know that you must be about your father's business, um, that we would seek you out uh in the places that you may be found, um God, and that you would meet us there, and that we would experience your presence um, and and that the sweetness of fellowship uh between us and you. Um God, help us to that end. Um, God, we want to be filled um with your presence on a daily basis. We want to experience that joy that 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 drives us along. Um God, help us to be faithful in those things. Um, Help us to find you where um, you have told us to find you. Um, God, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.